1: Good morning and welcome back to another installment of the John of Frank show. This is Frank Davis uh, broadcasting from Dallas, Texas. Uh, and with me, I have John Surma, my health and safety law partner from our Houston office. Uh, with us today in the studio, we also have David Walston, who is our uh, law partner uh, in health and safety sitting in Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome, David. Well, good morning. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. David comes to us from another firm where he was uh, doing all their health and safety work. The nice structure of this firm is that we do have lawyers in many states, and many locations, and many regions, and that gives us an opportunity to have a, a quicker response during an OSHA inspection. So, David, uh, how about giving us a little bit of a background on your experience in workplace safety? Uh, Well, I've been
0: practicing law for 35 years, and and throughout that course of time, I've I've handled workplace safety issues, uh, along with other things uh, going along, and I'm I'm happy to be able to focus primarily on workplace safety with Ogletree Deacons. That's something I've always wanted to do, but uh, I've I've handled OSHA matters for manufacturers, heavy industry, retail, pretty much across the board of employers out there, and you know, it's big employers, small employers. It all seems to be the same when OSHA comes in. The concerns don't change.
1: You know, our the focus of our conversation today is going to be on uh, programmed inspections, uh, a specific type of programmed inspection, uh, SST or site-specific targeting. But this isn't uh, something that's new to us and it's certainly not new to you. In fact, didn't you just complete a huge programmed inspection uh, regarding a uh, he, uh, heat uh, and, uh, and heat illness? Well,
0: it was actually uh, an incident that brought us in there, but the company had been concerned. Uh, it was a, a foundry, and it's been concerned about its heat program for several years uh, and had been in the process of developing one and improving it, and we were actually working with them on that uh, when this incident happened. They were expecting a programmed inspection at some point, given the nature of the industry, Mm -hmm. and this incident just happened to occur during that process.
1: I trust that the inspection
0: went well? Uh, It went extremely well. It was actually a fatality, a heart attack, and uh, after OSHA came in and and we walked through the program we had with them and showed all the efforts that we had made, we only got cited for a record-keeping violation because our respirator fit testing documents Uh, were insufficient. So it was a other than serious and no penalty citation out of what OSHA began with a heat fatality.
1: We were very excited uh, with that result. But I believe what you meant to say is your FIT test records were allegedly incorrect. <laughs> um, no,
0: they, they were they were not up to standards. Uh, they, they had not been updated yet during the course of the process, but we quickly uh, amended the form within five hours of being told, and uh, OSHA was satisfied with us.
2: So, David, was the heart attack heat-related, and that's how the heat-related issue came to the fore, or was it just because... You know, It's in the southern tier, and it's a foundry, and foundries are hot, that heat was a concern.
0: It was during the period of time when Birmingham was having a 110-degree heat index. This was a person who worked around the ovens in the foundry. He collapsed on the job, passed away later in the hospital, which ultimately turned out to be a heart attack. And ultimately, because of the heat program this company has... OSHA did not tie the death to the heat exposure uh, that he experienced at work.
2: It may make sense for some of the members of our audience, because we seem to get this question on a pretty regular basis. If you kind of explain to the audience kind of what the employer expectations are when someone has a heart attack at work or an apparent heart attack at work relative to whether or not that has to get reported to OSHA or not. Well, OSHA's position
0: is that any heart attack reportable. We actually did report it. Uh, I was on scene within an hour being called, and we walked through uh, whether it was reportable and to err on the side of uh, doing the right thing. Uh, we did report it. We held back on whether it was a recordable instance until you know the investigation being complete and the OSHA investigation had been closed. We reported it as we thought we should have, given the uh, fatality, and then participate in the investigation, OSHA, and it's not going to be recorded because it's not a recordable incident.
2: I assume there was some sort of autopsy or or medical examiner's report that was prepared as a result of this individual passing, and and if there was, what was the uh, determination of the cause of death?
0: There was a coroners report, and it said it was a heart attack, and it didn't mention the heat at all. There was no heat exacerbation or any finding of that by the coroner's office. So um,
1: in other words, not a workplace exposure that contributed to the heart attack, and therefore uh, you considered it to be uh, not recordable. Uh, much better stated than I was, yes. Our topic and and those, that's a great line of questions uh, and always interesting to to hear about the analysis uh, our our target today is SST site specific targeting. Uh, so uh, w- with that in mind, uh, can you give us a little bit of background on SST? What is that, David? Uh, I'll be happy
0: to it, uh, an SST is as is, is Frank you said, is a site specific targeting program of OSHA. It's based upon the data that is reported to OSHA through the 300A log program, the electronic reporting. Uh, Based on that statistical data, employers are put into a pool and can be randomly selected for a comprehensive wall-to-wall inspection without there being an accident or an injury or even identified hazard uh, at the workplace
1: that type of programmed inspection by creating that list, randomly organizing it, that's the way they get around the Fourth Amendment uh, bar to just uh, willy-nilly randomly entering somebody's workplace. Am I right about that? Well,
0: yes. I mean, you can refuse them entry uh, even on a programmed inspection, but that just means they're going to come back and really go through your workplace with a fine tooth
1: comb. I guess what would say is you'd consider whether you want to Take that uh, extra step, depending on the circumstances. That's a consideration, of course. There would be a basis for them to get a warrant if it's uh, truly a a neutral program that they're trying to enforce. Correct.
2: And you know, I mean, to follow up on your your question, Frank, I mean, there may be circumstances taking the the step of requiring a warrant and and buying some additional time made a lot of sense. Uh, That may not necessarily make sense in every case, but. In some cases, it does make sense. I
1: was going to say I've only ever had to challenge a programmed inspection one time, and it it, it was around COVID after the the COVID NEP had expired. But uh, I generally uh, I'm not a, a, a big uh, guy who would go force a client to get a warrant in most cases. It's certainly, something we can that an uh, an, in, uh, an individual employer could consider are better considered with
0: specific instance injury kind of situations where osha comes to the workplace because they generally want to come in and do a wall-to-wall based on a single injury and employers have been pretty successful in preventing that from happening
1: sure well i've found that i can negotiate that with most compliance officers before anything gets started without having to resort to the federal courts Uh, although not afraid of the federal courts uh, and neither either of you David, you did some some statistical analysis of inspections across the South, specifically uh, in in our region, John and my region's uh, region six Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and uh, in Alabama. Can you uh, give us a little bit of insight into what you discovered about inspections? Yeah, I'll be happy to.
0: You know, the big thing that we always get asked is, "Gosh, what's you going to do after COVID?" It slacked off on some of its activities because of what it was allowed to do under the government regulations about COVID. And everybody's wondering, well, gosh, is it really coming back? And I did a statistical survey of inspections, citations, and average penalties uh, in the lab from 2020 to 2022. And I was really shocked. In Texas, there's a 55% increase in inspections. There's a 35% increase in citations. And there was a 13% increase in the average penalty per citation. In Alabama, there was a 40% increase in inspections, only a 5% increase in citations, but a 51% increase in penalty, the average penalty. So, uh, you know, Texas and Alabama are in different regions, but one thing I noticed is Alabama has substantially increased its penalties while Texas and Arkansas, Arkansas had an 81% increase in inspections. Uh, they've increased the inspections and their average penalties are going up but not as, as substantially as Alabama has.
1: but I understand some of that is a result of OSHA doubling its compliance officer force uh, from 2022. Uh, not that they added all those new positions that they just filled vacancies that existed. And now there's a hierarchy, uh, as, as we all know. There's a hierarchy. of What generally causes a, an OSHA inspection to occur first is uh, one of the reported incidents like you just talked about with regard to the fatality in the workplace. Hospitalizations and amputations uh, are also a priority inspection for OSHA. Employee complaints or union complaints, that's the next level. And then we have these programmed inspections. So you had begun explaining how... OSHA identifies an employer for an inspection for a programmed inspection under the SST program. Can you break that down for us about uh, what they're looking at with regard to the record keeping elements? Uh, Where are they getting that data?
0: Yeah, employers are required to report what is referred to as DART days away of restricted duty and transfers from duty due to uh, physical activity restrictions from work related injuries. Uh, And based on this DART rating, uh, which there's a complicated formula for for putting it together, or maybe it's complicated for me and not for others, uh, they give you a rating. uh, And there's a national average. And for when an employer reports on their 300A information to OSHA, OSHA will look at and compare to that DART compared to the national average, and if it's a very high above the average uh that's going to be a a large red flag for osha to say hey what's going on there amazingly even employers that don't have a, an set ex- what osha considers an excessive dart uh, if the employer is over the average and in the last three years that their dart rating has creeped up even though it's not excessive that increase over time also lands the employer in the uh, SST pool uh, for possible random selection for a wall-to-wall.
1: Talk about that a little bit more. What do you mean if it creeps up? So, see, my DART rate is one and I go to 1.1. Am I worried now? For that slight increase, I really wouldn't
0: think. But You know, if you're above the national average to begin with, but if you go from now, I recall recently the national average was 1.7 per 100 employees. So if you're at a, you know, a two and all of a sudden you go to a two five and then the next year you jump to a three two, you know, while not jumping off the page, like having a five or something, that increase concerns OSHA and it should concern the employer about why its Dart is increasing in that manner as
1: well. Always doing the, the assessment, always trying to figure out where the injuries are coming from and always looking for ways to improve the safety program. Those right. are all considerations that would take, but I don't understand how the creep is, you know, the creeping up in DART rate is distinguishable from a high DART rate. So if you're already over the national average, doesn't that put an employer on the SST list? It could, but I think for the high rate, OSHA is looking
0: for the if, – if the average is 1.7, they're not really going to be interested in a 2.0 jump for one year. I mean, they're, they're, they're not going to say, oh, gosh, that's out of the ballpark. We need to be concerned about that workplace. It can land you on the list, but uh, I think for the what they call the high rate, they're looking for something significantly over the national average. The what I'll call the steady increase is more concerning to me because the employer with a DART rate hovering just above the national average and is doing a pretty decent job but has a steady increase for some reason is all of a sudden subject to a possible wall-to-wall from selection from a random pool.
2: David, kind of following up on this line of questions, is your expectation that... You know, what happens in the Austin area office is going to be the same in terms of the Birmingham area office, in terms of the same as, I say Birmingham, I'm not sure what the area office is over there, versus, say, the Jacksonville area office, in terms of how high the DART rate has to be, or is that going to be something that's going to be kind of driven by what's going on in that particular area office and in, in terms of overall increases in DART rate, as for instance?
0: Well, it's it's up to the area office. They have the discretion to decide how many SST inspections are going to occur. The directive that came out from OSHA says anywhere from 5 to 50, and the area office is charged with using its resources uh, efficiently and designating what they believe the best use is. So it could be that an area office uh, decides that we like these programmed inspections uh, that things are slow on the uh, hazard front. So we're going to use our resources for programmed inspections, while in Texas uh, that may not be their decision. So there's going to be no consistent approach nationwide in this. It's all going to be locally driven based on the the priorities from that area office.
2: Okay, so there's a lot of flexibility that's built into this program that allows the area director to make determinations about how the SST program is going to be rolled out in that particular area. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yes, that's right. For example, in in Alabama, I've got concerns with the National Emphasis Program for Heat, and I think we're going to see a lot of programmed inspections for heat illness, heat stress. That may supplant SST uh, inspections somewhat, but when the heat is you know, alleviated and and the seasons change. then OSHA may term SST as its program of choice.
1: So just to make sure that stays clear for our listeners, uh, you said supplant. So in in other words, in Alabama, and probably in a lot of southern states, OSHA might be more focused on uh, neutral inspections related to the National Emphasis Program for Heat Illness Uh, and less focused on site-specific targeting during the hot months. Did I clarify that correctly? Yes, you did. That, that, Again, that's just
0: my thoughts. I mean, I don't have any data to support that, but given the emphasis that we saw in Birmingham this past summer, uh, I can just see that being a priority in the southern region just because of the uh, citations that have come out for heat.
1: Now, you talked about high DART rates. You talked about increasing DART rates. I understand you also evaluated whether an actual decrease in DART rate could lead to an SST inspection.
0: Uh, Yes, that's, that's one of the amazing things. They have what's called low rate category in the SST program, where an employer with a low DART rate well below the national average can be subject to a record-keeping inspection because OSHA wants to make sure that the employer is not fudging its numbers and not recording injuries that they should be recording. So a workplace that is not flagged by a high DART rate or increasing DART rate can still go in this random pool. And once they go in with a record-keeping inspection, it can then expand into a wall-to-wall as OSHA is, is prone to do. Anytime it sets footed uh, in your workplace. So I've got a client that, and this is also amazingly related to heat, uh, in past years was having, you know, 20 or so heat incidents every summer. And then suddenly it dropped to 10 and then dropped to five. This came up during this recent heat investigation I was involved in, and I had great concerns about, wait a minute, how can this be dropping? so dramatically and what had happened is it turns out that the previous safety manager essentially reported everything or excuse me recorded everything whether he needed to or not and the new safety manager who came in and knew the recording rules was properly recording and so that explained the drop as well as the new heat mitigation measures they had put in place but primarily a result of the record-keeping practices of the employer.
1: That's a fantastic account and a fantastic uh, fantastic description of what should happen, right? Uh, so often we see over-reporting with employers. So something to consider uh, when evaluating uh, your DART rate, your injury rate as an employer is to consider whether you're even recording correctly, whether you're over, over-identifying. Frank...
2: Come on now. We all know employers always under-report everything. There's never ever under ever, ever any over-reporting. Come on, man. I mean, I I hear about this all the time on LinkedIn, so I can't believe you would suggest that that employers would overreport. And 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 if the audience can't pick it up, I'm being a little sarcastic because I guarantee you, Frank, David, and I have all seen situations where we scratched our heads about why in the world did they report all these cases of whatever? They clearly have nothing to do with the workplace or workplace exposure. But I, I apologize for the interruption, Frank.
1: No, but you're right. I, I think that was a good point to emphasize. As an employer, I would always consider whether I'm recording accurately. The regulations are meant, how I studied, went back and I studied some of the preambles, and those regulations uh, to me, clearly mean that OSHA wants the employer to get the recording right, to identify r- workplace incidents that are really work-related. That would be my goal as an employer, is to try to get it right instead of uh, over-recording. I think that really highlights an important point about ensuring or, or going back and considering whether the records have been uh, maintained correctly. Uh, and david that story's a, a really good story th- to help consolidate that understanding so john's point is well taken uh, he meant it as a joke but it's but uh, i think it's reasonable to consider what's been recorded and what hasn't been recorded uh, when evaluating whether you've got exposure to SST, uh, David, uh, as we begin the end of the podcast, what do you look for when you go on site uh, at a uh, at an employer's facility when you're evaluating their exposure to an SST inspection? Well, the first thing, how
0: to address the inspection, how uh, you know what's put in place before the inspector even arrives. If it's a an injury for a programmed inspection. OSHA is going to walk in and what are they going to ask for? They're going to ask for training programs, record keeping, things of that nature. If you can hand documents to OSHA, they're much more appreciative of you than if you say, oh, I'm going to give them to you three weeks later. And I look to see if if employees are trained. I mean, is the person who's doing the record keeping properly trained in doing that task? So there's some confidence in the records uh, when OSHA does come in to look at them.
1: David, that's really helpful. Really appreciate the insight. I found that to be very interesting. John, any parting words?
2: No, Frank. I I, I just want to thank David for coming on the podcast and and sharing some insight on SST and welcome him to the firm, even though he's been here for about six months and, and look forward to working with you in the future, David. If you got any closing remarks, any closing thoughts, love to hear them and I'll hand it off to you.
1: All right. Well, thanks very much, everybody, for tuning in. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks, everybody.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.